Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Just saying greetings from Seven Lakes, North Carolina. And most of you say, well, where in the world is Seven Lakes? Have you ever ever heard of Pinehurst, North Carolina, a big golf community? We're kind of right outside there. Probably never heard of Pinehurst either. But uh, I I just want to encourage you in something. Uh, Have you ever just heard a word and that one sentence kind of stuck with you? Like maybe you were in a church service somewhere and somebody somebody said one sentence and it's like you'll never forget that sentence. I I had one of those moments when I was 17 years old. Uh, they, They had an FCA event. It was kind of a... This was in the 70s, so, so I'm going way back. Some, some, some of the youth said, my dad wasn't even born in the 70s, so I can't relate to you. But, uh, but there, was a, there was a gentleman there. He was a four-sport uh, four um, participant at, at UNC. Uh, actually, uh, he lettered in all four sports. I think it was track, uh, football, baseball, and basketball. That's kind of a unique thing. But I can remember one thing he said in his, in his message. He, he said something that kind of pierced me right to the heart. He said, little eyes are looking at what you do. And that thing just got all over me. But I, I, I'll tell you why I even mentioned that today. I saw, saw that. I, I was always aware of that, but I also looked for that in other, other people. And I saw that in your pastor, Willie. I've always watched him. We've been, we've been kind of in relationship for about 20 years through the group of churches we're associated with. And I, t- I tell you, I've seen a man of integrity. Just It was kind of like you, you know, when you can, you can kind of fill out a room and you know who's real and who's not real. Pastor Willie, I, and, and I can tell you how I, how I knew it. He honored his wife. Everywhere I've ever seen him, he always put her first. And I love that. And, and I just, uh, just encourage you in that, that Pastor Willie's on the way back here, church. And uh, part of what we're going to do today is we're going to share our own little own story about God in the middle of adversity. But I kind of want to do two things today. I want to share a little message that I felt like is kind of our life message. My, my wife of 30 years, Joanna, is sitting on the front, front row. Uh, what a blessing. Amen. I just, uh, who, who finds a wife's found a good thing? Yeah. So, uh, so I just, uh, just want to do two, thing, two things, really. I want to share kind of our life message today. And I also want to share our journey over the last year. And somebody somebody'd probably say, well, here's a psych pastor. He doesn't get to preach but about once a month. And, uh, and, so, and, and he's going to give two messages Somebody say the roast is going to be overdone today. Yeah. Or, or, if you're, or if you're going out to church, or you're going out to dinner after church, say the Baptists are probably going to beat us there today. Is that okay, is that okay to say in Lynchburg? I, I, yeah. but, uh, but hopefully, I, just kind of, I really want to bring the Word first, and just we'll, we'll go from there. So, uh, so I, I just want to go right to it. Um. You know, we we we've been I, we love church. Church has kind of been our like lifeline for for years. We've just always loved the church because the church is not a building. The church is the people of God. Amen. 
That's why, that's why we're here. It's not because of a building. It's because we can gather together as the people of God. And so we came, uh, Pastor Randy's spoken here a couple of times. Uh, we, 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 we've been with Pastor Randy for 28 years. And we looked pretty good on the outside when we first came. Uh, you know, young, had good jobs. Everything looked good on the outside. Kind of a little bit broken on the inside, though. There was a, you know, living a nominal Christian life at best. And when we got in community, real Christian community, everything changed. Um, you know, we, we, as I said, we love, the, we love the church. The church is the people of God. And we believe that's the way God sees it. God has always desired a people for Himself, a people that He could reveal His glory to and a people that He could display His glory through. God has always been about community. Um, in uh, Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Can you just get your head around that for a minute? We're made in the very likeness of God. Amen? That's, that's just... And, and, and God was always in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, com- in community together, loving on one another. Uh, in, in, before, there were, before time was, they were. Um, and it goes on to say in Genesis 2.18 uh, that the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. You know, so He made a, made a help mate for him. And... Uh, and thank God, you know, that we can... Because man was never designed to, to live alone. He was designed to live in community. And God said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And God has always desired a people for Himself. Uh, Jesus Himself lived in community. He had twelve. He poured His whole life and His mission into twelve folks. Then there, then there was seventy, and then there was a hundred and twenty. And then, then the church went crazy. And that's, that's the, the scripture that I want to talk about today is when, when the church blew up and things got crazy and, what, and what, hap, what happened in the middle of it. If you want to turn there, it's in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. But before we go in, I, w- I want you just to listen to these scriptures in a new way today. You've probably heard these. This is, the, this is kind of the, the... This is actually the blueprint of the church. This is why God created the church and community. And, uh, but I want you to listen to it with new ears today. And, and just to think about the possibilities of what can be. You know, as long as, there's, as long as there's a few empty seats here at Cornerstone, there's always going to be a reason to go forward. Amen? It's God created us, and, and He wants His house full. And so that's why we do what we do. But uh, I want you to ask yourself two questions. As we, as we read this, what is God saying to me about my place in this? And Lord, what do you want me to do about it? Just two simple questions. God, what, what are you saying to me through these scriptures? And what do you want me to do about it? So I'll start in Acts, uh, Acts 2, uh, 2.41. I'm going to read it in a little different version. Uh, I didn't have, the, have this... Uh, so I'm just going to read it out of the NIV. It said, Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. And it was, it was, it was going on right then from the, from the get-go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, 
to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. I think this is all the elements that you need to have a healthy, growing, thriving church is that we devote ourselves to the Word of God first. Pastor Willie's been bringing the Word of God here. Pastor Willie will be bringing the Word here again. Amen? I'm so full of faith for that because we've seen God do some incredible things this year. And we just, by faith, we know that God is going to restore uh, Pastor Willie here. And, uh, and so the Word will be preached here. Amen? To, and to fellowship. And I love what Pastor Randy says about fellowship. Pastor Randy says, fellowship is simply two fellows in the same ship going in the same direction. Amen? That's really what it is. That's everybody that serves here at Cornerstone. You're a, part of, you're a part of that. You make fellowship. You make fellowship happen by being here, doing. When you're, you're, you're kind of, one of you are working over here and one of you is working over here, that's the body of Christ. And that, that's a beautiful thing. To breaking of bread. That's, that's simply just coming together for meals, but also having the Lord's uh, Supper together in, in community. What a, what a beautiful thing that we can have the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as a remembrance of all He's done for us. Because He's done a lot. Amen? Thank God for Jesus. Uh, so, uh, and also the prayer. You know, uh, prayer is such a vital thing. More happens. You guys pray here at 9 o'clock in the morning. Everything, everything that happens here happens as a result of the prayer. That's laid down ahead. All the all the prayers that are pray, played in your secret place in your homes, for the for this body and for for the for the call of God for this community. That's where that's where that's where real life happens. I can remember a story they told about Charles Spurgeon took some, a guest speaker down in the basement of the church, and you know he was drawing huge crowds, and uh, he took them down into the basement and they opened the door and there was just a they wall-to-wall people on their knees praying. And he said, this is the engine that runs this place. Amen. That's, 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 there's power in prayer, folks. Uh, we've yet to see what God can do for a people that really get a hold of that and just pray and believe God for something, something greater. In verse 44 it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They had, they had a common purpose. And that's, that, there's power in unity when you come together as a body uh, that, God, that God can use. And I, I, I believe those, those items are, are the, the how we do it. And uh, in verse 46 it goes on to say, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying favor with all people. Amen. That's, that's what God wants for Cornerstone. He wants Cornerstone to be a, be a place where God's favor rests, where people come to know Him on a regular basis and, uh, and God will add daily those who are being saved. Amen. And I want you to listen to it. This is in the Living Bible. This is, you know, for some people, maybe that's not... This is just a paraphrase, but this, I love the way this says this. It says, They worshiped together regularly in the temple each day, met in small groups and homes for communion. 
They shared, they shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness. Amen. There's a place where there needs to be some thankfulness. Amen. In the middle of, in the middle of your, your struggles, there's a, there's a great place for thankfulness. We started something at Seven Lakes. Uh, my, my, normally, it's me and my children right after the service. I mean, it doesn't matter if, if, if one person came to Christ or maybe, maybe everybody was good that Sunday and it, and it was just, just an okay kind of day. We, just, we, we would go to the altar and we would thank God for all He's done because you can never measure that. What God does in a human heart, in a, in a place. Maybe it's that one moment like when that, gen, that gentleman told me, little eyes are looking at what you, what, what you, what, what you do. And uh, I, I felt like when he said it, I was the only person in the room. You never know when, 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 when there's a moment when somebody comes to know him, so we need to thank him for it. Amen? And the, the whole city was favorable to them. Amen? That's a heart. That city would be favorable. And, and you know, the, the thing about that, that the city being favorable to them, the city needs to know who you are. My worshiping leader and I have been recently been going door to door in every business in Seven Lakes. And we've been asking them three questions. How can we pray for you personally? How can we pray for your business? And is there anybody in your extended family or here in this business that you know of needs prayer? And I tell you, first, we've met a little resistance along the way, but I'm telling you, it's, it's just been incredible to see what happens when you take it. You take, take it to the streets. And then when you, you take the gospel from here and go other places with it. Um, so, so we just want to do church God's way, period. We want to do it, we want to do it by the way Jesus did it. The church, church exists to depopulate hell and to fill heaven. That's our job. That's our mandate. We're just, we're just gonna, we, we want to shut down hell and open up heaven for people. And we, we see it, you know, we just see little, little pieces of that happening. But if one person comes to know him, I, th- I just read something uh, recently, Mother Teresa said, I never look at the masses, I always look at the individual. And I believe Jesus was that way. He's very concerned about the one. Yeah. So, so we believe kind of like, and our, been, our, been our life mission is that God does this kind of thing in churches in three ways. Uh, and basically, it's, it's a lot of churches have kind of taken this on as a motto, but I believe it has, to, it has to go from the sign on the front door into your heart for you to really get it. So we, we love God, we love others, and we love our world. You know, that sounds like a little catchy logo, but if you live it, it's, it's more than that. Amen? It's a lifestyle. And, and we see God doing that in three ways. The Sunday morning experience the church, our regular church services, you know, we've got to come to an understanding that those things aren't for us. Those are for those people that are yet to know Him. And this is to be a gathering place where those people that don't yet know Him have an opportunity to know Him. So we need to make this, make, we make our places of worship a place where it's, it's really easy to come and worship and, and, be, and be with God and experience something they've never experienced. I, I, I'm of the understanding now that, that like, uh, I know people, this used to be the case, people would go to college and, the, and there would be professors trying to deconstruct their Christian life. I, I experienced because I went back to school later. 
But what the beautiful thing is, I, because I went back later, I kind of got an understanding. These people don't have a Sunday school faith. The new, the, these young folks, I'm so glad that you guys, the young folks, are here today because you're the future of this place, amen? You are the future of what God is going to do here. And if you, I'm sure that every, everybody on the eldership here, if you had to stand on their shoulders to get to where God wants you to get, they, they want that to happen, amen? So, so uh, but, but, that, but, but that, that happens. So, so what I noticed in this, in this thing at this school was this professor was trying to deconstruct something that never was there. And I was almost glad that there wasn't a foundation for them to tear down. But there's people coming, coming in. There, there's some people that are disillusioned with church as church, but they just need to see the real Jesus. Amen? That's as simple as I know how to, how to put it. And we, and we can make that happen by the lifestyle that we live and present on Sundays. We need to make it a really safe place for people to come. We believe in the other way we can love one another is like you can't do that on Sunday morning. People can sit on that back row and slip right out that door and you never, never say a word to them. But we believe a lot of that happens in small groups. And, and we've seen that. Real, real discipleship is starting to happen. And, but, it, but it's work. It takes time. It, it, it takes you being willing to say... I'm willing to lay it all out on the line so people can, can really get an understanding of what the gospel really means. And also in our outreach. Um, I, I, I don't believe any outreach opportunity is a missed opportunity. I believe there's something that happens every time you, you take a step out. And I, I mean, I see that in two ways. I think it starts inside the church when you serve, but it also happens when you, when you go out into, into your community. So, uh, so we believe the church needs to be growing, and and, uh, and growing, growing larger and smaller at the same time. You know, and here's the kind of the myths about a big church. I've kind of we've been a part of that because we were with Pastor Randy 28 years ago when they were 20 people. And uh, I'll tell you a really cool story. You probably have to next time he comes. Well, the church went to 70 people, but 50 of those people were Amway. He preached a message, and he knew from God he had to do, he had to, he had to just tell the truth that God doesn't God's not interested in your Cadillac on the refrigerator. Now, if you're a multi-level marketer, we, <laughs> I'm just a guest speaker. Forgive these, <laughs> but I'm but I'm telling you, he Pastor Randy had to make a stand. He lost 50 people in one week, but I tell you what, because he honored God by doing the right thing, God blessed that church. And right now, I guess. You know, this morning they're probably about 1,200 at Southern Pines. We're believing about 150 at Seven Lakes. So, uh, so, so God, God honors that when you when you do the right thing. I mean, when you have to speak the truth in love. Um, and, and there's there's just some myths about a, what a big church is because, like, oh, some people say, well, I just like quality over quantity. Well, I, we don't see we don't see that's the way God sees it because every person is important to God. Every person has a name, and God knows that name. He knows every hair on their head, and it's important to God. He died for them. It's very important. And, uh, and, and another thing that, like a myth about big churches is they, they can be impersonal. Well, I tell you what, a small church can be impersonal too. Uh, I have a friend that works, he does construction work. He was, he was in Texas. He, could love, he loved Seven Lakes and just... Because it was a smaller community, he decided I'll go to a little small church in in Texas. 
he walked in and it was like people looked at him like, what are you doing here? Like nobody spoke to him the whole time he was there. Shame on us, church, for that, for that ever being be said of us, that we would do that, you know. He said it the whole time. Nobody said a word to him the whole time, even on the way out. Um, so small churches can, can have an attitude to that. <laughs> and thank God we're not like that church. Amen. We're going to love people. Um, yeah, well, uh, Pastor Randy may have told this story, but he's working with some building designers that are looking at different designs of churches. One of the things he said, he had there was a church that said, uh, we need a church for, I think it was, uh, I think it was 300, 320 people. And the designer said, what in the world? Why 320 people? He said, well, that's how many people we have. 320. It was like they built the church, built a new church, so and they didn't leave room for any kind of growth because they were just happy with their little thing. God forbid, church, that we'd ever be like that. Because <laughs> um, God wants everyone saved. Amen? It's, it, it's, it's just what He does. He says, Go into highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Amen? God wants people to come to know Him. I'll just tell you a quick little story. My son uh, went to college at UNC Charlotte, and uh, there's a big church there. You may have heard of the Elevation Church. And he, 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 came, he, he, he no longer had his dad and mom's faith when he went to Elevation. He found his own faith in God. And in the middle of that, his girlfriend, Kara, came, actually came to Christ about a week before this happened. At our dinner table, my wife led her to the Lord at the dinner table. So, so Josh and Kara invite a couple to church, and the little one, the guy was from India, never been, never been in church, never been in a Christian church. They both got saved that Sunday. So, so God is God is a miracle working God, and God will use your 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 very weak attempts, and 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 honor that. So He takes a a baby in Christ, and lead some infants to the kingdom of God. Amen? That's what we're talking about here. And uh, this, is, this is Jesus. Uh, say, he says of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save who was lost. I love this. This is the, this is the easy read version. I probably need something like this because I'm kinda, I kind of need something simple. It says the Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. And I, I don't know, have you guys ever lost a child before? Like, like been in a mall, and they get up under the, get in the clothes racks, and like all of a sudden you go into like panic mode. Anybody, anybody here? Let's, let's, we're Christians here, amen? <laughs> well, I, I want to kind of share a little story about my son Jacob. He was six years old at the time, and uh, my son's 11-year-old, uh, 11 and 12-year-old soccer team went to, went to Wilmington to the beach to a soccer tournament. And at the end of the tournament, we had a morning game, so we were going to go to the beach that afternoon. So we set, we went down and we set our chairs on one side of the pier. And we had everybody there. Jacob was there. Josh was there. Everybody, everybody was there. All the kids were starting to come and their parents. And um, all of a sudden, we get everything set up and there's no Jacob. Jacob's six. And like, 
you know, for a little while, we just kind of walked up down the beach thinking, man, he just kind of wandered a little bit. He, he liked to wander. And, uh, and so 15 minutes go by, no Jacob. Things are starting to get a little, a little tense. We start, we start thinking maybe we need to call the beach patrol because we had looked in the water real good. He was a good, he was a pretty good swimmer, but you know the ocean can, can do some things. So no, no Jacob. Twenty five minutes, no Jacob. I circle back up to the car looking for him. All of Josh's soccer team went in both directions, and I'm looking around, and they're all crying and like us, and and. My wife, at, at 30 minutes, my wife had called the beach patrol. So they had ATVs out on the beach riding up and down looking for Jacob. About 35, 40 minutes into it, I'm at the point where, you know, when your thinking starts taking over, like, I might, be, I might have lost, we might never see this child again. And I got to the point in my thinking where I said, I would almost rather find him dead in the water than know somebody took him off this beach. Because, you know, you start just going there, you know, because your children are your heart. And, uh, you know, I, you know I, I sort of feel like this is the kind of way God feels about things. Anybody that would have helped in that situation was, a, was, was good. I feel like God feels like that when he's after people. That anybody, I would, be, I would just be grateful for anybody that would have helped. I never, at any moment in there, I never thought, well, I've got two other healthy children. I'll be okay. I never, I never thought that. And all of a sudden, I just start walking. Because there's, there's a, there was a pier that we were at, and then there was a pier about two miles down. And I just start, I felt like the Lord said, walk. And so I start walking. And I walk, and I walked a long ways. I was about halfway to the, uh, to the other pier. And, uh, all of a sudden, in the distance, I see a little blue and green bathing suit coming toward me. And I, I, I started looking at it, and it got a little closer and closer. I ran. I just ran to him. I didn't run to him thinking, I'm going to tear his tail up when I get him. I ran to him, and I put my arms around him, and I loved, him, loved on him. And I, I think we'll always forever be close because of that. You know, if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our Heavenly Father. Amen. That's why we do what we do, church. That's why That's why this church has to has to grow. And this, not, only, not only this, but this sanctuary needs to have to expand because God is interested in lost people. In John 15, Jesus shares three stories about lost things. I think he's very interested in that because in every one of them, he, they, every one of those stories, he left what, is, what, what he bought was found to go after what was lost. And your, your part in that might just be even serving here on Sunday morning. I'll just care, share a quick little story. There was a single mom that actually came up as Pastor Randy gave the invitation one Sunday and I was on the prayer team at the front. And, and I knew, you know, it's like you know when somebody goes from death to life, if you've been walking with God in you just know it, man. You know it. It's not, you know it's not just, uh, okay, this is a good idea that I, I'm, I'm, making a res- I'm responding to what God is speaking to my heart. It's the real thing. You just know it. So this young lady comes forward. I, I knew her because she worked at, worked at Moe's, a single mom, raising children. You know, she, and, and she came and she 
we, we pray, I prayed with her to receive Christ. And, the, and, and in the very middle, middle of that, I thought about, if it wasn't for those people in that children's ministry making a way for her children to... They weren't, they weren't rushing me to get, get them out of there. Their, their mom was... A transformation happened because the people in the children's ministry cared enough to stay with those children until the mom got there. Amen? So if you work in children's ministry here, praise God for you. Amen? You make an eternal difference in people's lives. So I, I just came today just really to encourage the church that, like, man, we do this because we get to. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we love people, and we just want to do. We just want to do that. Um, there's strength in numbers, man. And, you know, as God adds to this body, man, there's going to be more good stuff to do. Uh, the scripture says that a, uh, uh, though a man prevail, uh, prevail against one who is alone, two can withstand him. A threefold, threefold cord is not easily broken. We we saw we saw a miracle like that in uh, uh, two uh, two Easter's ago. We do a we do an Easter offering where all the offering goes goes to missions every every dime. And uh, I think that year we between the two two congregations we raised like a hundred thousand dollars. Well, ten thousand of that dollar those, those it was it was April the second, two thousand. I think it's two thousand fifteen. We raised ten thousand dollars to go to Nepal. Anybody knows what what happened on the twenty April the twenty fifth of that year? Earthquake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That money God sent that money ahead. That money was in Nepal when that happened. Tell me that's not God. Amen. That God used that. To, to do what he did, and I, I just forever like grateful to God for that. That he would, he he knew enough to get us to to give at a moment when there was a real need. And church, there's a place where your relationships together as a body are everything. You know, the 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 church is Plan A. There is no Plan B. Amen. For a world that's dying and 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 literally walking into hell on, on their own accord. There's a place where we need to come together as a body, put aside every difference, and just do the stuff because God's called us to do the stuff. Um, I kind of liken it to a, to a football game. You know, you can enjoy a football game from the, from the stands, but you'll never know what it's like until you get out on the field. Amen? So I just encourage you, wherever you're at, uh, there's a place for you in God's kingdom. Um, again, you guys probably have some vibrant small groups here. We believe real life happens in small groups. My wife and I are totally committed to small groups. We've been doing small, small groups for probably 30 years. A uh, really cool story is one of the couples that are actually, met, one of the main couples that went with us to Seven Lakes, actually live in Seven Lakes, um, were in our first small group that we ever had. I was, ter- I was a terrible facilitator. I kind of half read my Bible, but those people, we, we, there was love in that house people came to know Jesus, and there was just real relationships. So I encourage you guys that, like, real life happens in, in small groups. Um, just want to let you know, you can really make a difference there. That, it, you know, uh, anybody here think maybe they're going to live nine more years? Amen. Everybody. Amen. Amen. Praise God. 
You know, in, if you did a small group every year, if you, did, if you started a small group with like ten people, and you did next year, you said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that every year, first year. I'll do, do, I'll do one. You know, it doesn't have to last the whole year. We don't, we don't want to burn people out. But there's a place where you, in, at the end of that time, and after nine years, you could, you could reach 640 people, either directly or indirectly for Christ in a small group. Just opening up your home. Amen. I really feel like one of the main reasons we came is to kind of share our journey with you guys. If, if I could, I'd like my, for my wife to come and we'll kind of tell our story because it so matches where you guys are right now. And We've seen God just do some incredible stuff. Place to see me, Avira. It's kind of a precursor to uh, leukemia, something like that. Um, and then it developed into a next stage, which is myelofibrosis. That's where your, your, your bone marrow starts getting like fibrous material in it. And so uh, about this time last year, she got to, started getting prepped for a stem cell transplant. She had her st- sister's stem cells first, uh, which was probably how many months you think all together? It started right away, and um, it's about a, a five-day procedure they uh give you chemo and I had a full body radiation treatment and basically what they do in that transplant is they kill every all you have and they take you to zero and then um, once they have that then they take the donor cells which was uh, one of my sisters um, and give those to you and it's just unbelievable what happens after that the uh, side effects from the chemo didn't kick in right away I kept expecting to feel something and then uh, the day I got the new cells I thought I would feel something and I felt pretty normal and could walk good and food still tasted good but about a week later you just get so 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 sick and um so in the first transplant, um, I was admitted in June. It wasn't too long before they were telling me that I wasn't 100% donor. Um, I started out that way, and they were excited about it, and things were going well. But then then those donors, my cells started becoming dominant over the donor cells. And so... Um, you know, we didn't want that because then that would just cause the myelofibrosis to take over again. Um, in the middle of all this, what was extremely hard for me was not the medical treatment. It was when you get this kind of treatment, you there's a lot of isolation. You can't be around a lot of people. And I had the the person I probably worried about the most was my 14-year-old daughter. She's 15 now. Um, She was starting her first year of high school. I missed the whole summer before she started school, and then I missed her, you know, starting high school. And um, every family member's birthday, including mine, I was in the hospital. For Thanksgiving, I was in the hospital. For Christmas, in the hospital. 
um, between the two transplants. But I kept thinking about her. And just because she's young, my other two children are boys. Thank God for them. One of them's 26, and he stepped up and, and helped us so much. But you know what the most comforting thing was? Was the church. The way the church, the people. I mean, people that I didn't even expect to do things for my children, especially Jessica, my young one. Like, ladies took her to the mall, things I would do. Um, back to back to school clothes shopping. Things that were heavy on my heart that you just a mother does. Um, I had another mom. My daughter has uh, very curly hair, and... Uh, I ha- and, I, and I do, too, when I have a lot of hairs. finally have a, some over my head right now. But um, I always helped her with her hair, so I worried about that. I mean, I know that's a little thing, but to me at the time it was a big thing. Who's going to help her with her hair? And I had a friend. I didn't even ask her. She said, you know, I can help Jessica with her hair. I know how to do curly hair. So God supplied through the church. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to tell you guys that um, pastors, and I can, we can say this because we're guests here. <laughs> um, we probably wouldn't say it to our own congregation, but they get, a lot of times they get the complaints. And they get what's not going right or what was displeasing about the service or what another church member did to cause disunity. And sometimes it's very necessary. You have to talk about things. Um, I just want to tell you, encourage your pastor and his wife and speak, and the people who are ministering here, and speak life into them. And if you do have a complaint, don't do it right before they preach. Or like... um, you know, save it for the, time, for the time that's right to talk about it. I've seen my poor husband have to go do things after somebody's just chewed him out. And, and it's hard. And, you know, it's just the enemy trying to tear us up. So in being the church, and you're in a hard place right now, because your, your pastor, you know, the Lord brought us together and we became one. And Jimmy has some strengths, and I have some strengths, and we've ministered together. Well, all of a sudden, his partner in crime was flat on her back, and and um, I couldn't help him, couldn't help my family. Um, it was I, I was kind of feeling, um, thank God that I have the Lord in my heart, because I would just close my eyes and say, God, you are sovereign. I don't know why this is happening, but you are sovereign. And um, and our church, I will say, they pulled together and supported us, both campuses. I was the children's director. I guess a lot of you have met Randy. And, and I, um, I'm a teacher by trade, but um, stopped teaching and tutored from my home and stayed home with my kids and about the time they were getting a little bit older, I became just started working in the children's ministry very part time and uh, 
and and that job kind of grew with the church. So as the church was growing, I added more hours and more hours and more hours. And um, and and when we went out to Seven Lakes, I would do both campuses back and forth. I would start on our big campus and get that children's ministry running and rolling and then I would drive out to Seven Lakes and I would end my day back at Southern Pines. Um, so I, I'm, we have good relationships with people at both and both campuses ministered to us in a tremendous way. We had to tell people to stop bringing food. We didn't have enough space in our, literally enough space in our refrigerators. Our boys are big, um, they meal prep, and so there's, they're, they're both into physical fitness and eating healthy, and thank God for good southern casseroles, but they didn't, they wouldn't, they didn't want a lot of that, and so anyways, it would just be packed, and when I went in for the second transplant, we said one meal a week is about what we can handle, uh, or they could handle at home, and every, every single need was met by the church. And people were so, um, so kind to us and extended grace to us when we really needed it. Um, and I just want to, you know, God is always working. He's always working. And I, I cognitively now, I'm still not 100%. I can't remember things sometimes like my birthday if I have to write it down sometimes. I, I can forget a simple detail like that. The chemotherapy is is very strong, and it does all kinds of things to you. But slowly but surely, I'm getting better and better and better. And um, looking back on the back side of things, some of the things that in my personal family with my children, what happened to them in a year was just a miracle. And if it, and and then in the hospital. Um, a young nurse uh, came to know Jesus. And not because we said, do you know Jesus, but she she just watched my family. We took communion together sometimes. We prayed. We, we always had worship music playing. I couldn't read my Bible, but um, Jimmy would read to me sometimes, and uh, I just cognitively, my attention wouldn't stay there. It's better now, but um, maybe it was so Abby would come to know Christ, and she's getting married in September, and I told her I would dance at her wedding. But anyways, I could talk for two years and tell you about all the miracles. Um, I'm going to let Jimmy tell about what happened in the second transplant very briefly, but I do want to say support your elders and your pastors and and when and, and work together. If you're not volunteering, find a spot. There, it, it will fulfill you. Find find a spot, whatever it is. It could be midweek if if you can't do Sunday morning. I know that there's places God gifted you to serve this body. You're not here for nothing. And and um and tell people. Invite your neighbors to come with you. And, uh, you know, I heard Kathy Grifford say on TV, she, they asked her why she was so public about her faith. And she said, if I had the cure for cancer, wouldn't I just shout it to the whole world? 
And she said, I've got the cure for the soul. I want to tell everybody about it. I am not going to be silent about it. That was uh, that was one of the really cool things. Is actually really wasn't that cool at the moment. Uh, we actually uh, had to call my my family in three times. To uh, they said, if you you want your children to ever see your wife again, said you need to get them to the hospital now. If you don't want to see them with tubes hanging out, and they were trying to get us to make decisions about resuscitation and and uh, end of life decisions, and it's like right in the middle of it, like my caregiver. Uh, heart had just about worn out. I didn't know what to do. I actually called it. And this, is, this is how the body of Christ works. One of my, friend, one of my friends that helped us start the church at Seven Lakes, the doctor, I called him. I said, Dr. Walters, I said, they're trying to get me to make all these end-of-life decisions about whether or not to resuscitate Joanna or not. What do I do? And he, he just calmly said, Jimmy, I'm not going to talk to you like I'm your doctor. I'm going to talk to you like you're, I'm your friend. He says, if they... If they do chest compressions on your wife and they break some ribs, what's the worst that could happen? She could stop breathing and she could die. And something inside me just clicked and said, I don't care what it takes. We're going forward in this situation. And just a little kind of word of encouragement for somebody like makes all the difference in the world. So uh, in the middle of that, like she went into liver, actually liver, liver failure. Her liver numbers went as high as they said they'd ever seen them. A normal liver range is one to two, just kind of floats around. Well, hers went to 27. They called us in. And then then they, they tried some medicine, couldn't take it because she started in, having internal bleeding. Uh, went to 38. Uh, they were starting to say, hey, you need to call your children in. They went to 42. Uh, my kids prayed, and my church prayed, just like, just like we're believing God for Willie. Amen? We're believing God for complete healing and wholeness. On the back side of that story, I can just share this with you. The, the, the main transplant doctor at, at UNC Hospital told me, he said, all my PAs have kind of told me this individually. He said, we want whoever's praying for Joanna Cox to pray for us if we ever get sick. Amen? That's what the body of Christ does. Amen? We just wanted to bless you guys with that is, it's like you're part of something special. Amen? You have, a, you have a beautiful facility. It just needs to be filled. You know, and that's what God's called us to do. And so I'd encourage you, go out in the highways and hedges, man. Just ask people. You know, it's, it's safe to ask somebody to come to church here because this is a cool place to be. Amen? Amen? So we just wanted to encourage you guys with that. Also, if you're in a situation like my Jacob, like you were lost, like lost, like he was lost. I mean, he was lost. He didn't know where he, he didn't know if he'd ever see his parents again. If you if you're in a relationship, if your relationship with God is hampered like that, if you don't know, you don't know with full confidence that Jesus Christ is is Lord. So whatever happens, just like just like I told people, here's how we were going to pray for Joanna. We're going to pray three ways. We're going to pray either God heals her, God comes and takes her. And then immediately she's in the presence of God. Or if he returns, and then we're all in good shape. Amen? Are those of us that know him. So, so if you don't know him, could we just bow our heads just a second? Is that anybody here today? Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. 
Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.